Let's pray together. Father, you are good and merciful to us. We do not deserve that goodness and mercy. We do not deserve your care and compassion and love, and yet you give it freely in spite of our sin. And so, Father, today I pray for our people here in this church, for your people That, Father, we would have hearts that are constantly drawn back to You in repentance. That, Father, we would hate our sin and we would love Your Word. That we would constantly, Lord, make war against our flesh and seek to love and serve and please Jesus Christ. And that, Father, as we strive for those things, that our hearts would find rest not in our works, not in our own righteousness, Father, but only in Jesus' work and in Jesus' righteousness. Father, as, as we open Your Word together this morning, I pray that You would speak through me to Your people. That the words that I would say here today would be the word that You have for this body. That we would, through this proclamation today, love and treasure Jesus more, fight against sin more vigorously, and wait more expectantly for His return. Father, please bless this time and bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. We've been in this chapter for a few weeks. We're going to finish Mark, chapter 6 today, verses 30 through 56. Um, If you've got one of our listening guides uh, that are in the bulletins and also on the back table, Uh, you'll know that the title of today's sermon is Incredible Things. Incredible Things. And what what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about Jesus doing these incredible things. But what we're really going to understand here, I hope, through our message today, is we're going to see how the compassion of Jesus is what moves Him to do these things. How His compassion is shown to His people. And my hope today is that as we examine the Word of God together, that our hearts will be filled with hope, not hopelessness. That we would not see the Bible as a list of things that we must do in order to earn God's favor or a list of commands that we must follow in order to keep God's favor, but that rather we would see the Bible as the thing that God tells us to do for our own good, but that when He looks at us, if we are in Christ, that He sees the righteousness of Jesus and that His compassion toward His people is what drives Him to love and care for us in those ways. So let's look together at Mark chapter 6, 
beginning in verse 30. And the first thing we're going to see in verses 30 through 44 is something to eat. Something to eat. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of him. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking up five loaves, the five, the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, when, we, when our sermon focused on Jesus returning to Nazareth, he had sent the disciples out to go out into all of these surrounding areas to go and teach and proclaim the word, heal people, cast out demons. He gave them specific instructions. And then last week, we had a little bit of an interlude where we talked about the, the, the death of John the Baptist. And so now Mark is returning to the story in his gospel and the, the, the disciples have come back. They've come back and they are telling Jesus about everything that had happened on their journeys, which I find hilarious because he already knew. But that's okay. They still didn't really understand all of that yet. And so they come back and they're telling Jesus all of these things. And it's very clear and evident that they are exhausted that they are exhausted. And so it tells us in the Word that many people were coming and going and they didn't even have time to stop and eat. That is how busy they were doing the work of ministry. And so Jesus says, well, let's, let's go away for a little while so you can rest. Let's go away by yourselves for a little while so we can rest. I want to take a little bit of a side note here. There is a tendency among people who serve the Lord to feel as though you are required to work and work and work and work and work until you die. And what I want you to know from God's Word is that rest is a good thing. Serving the Lord can be exhausting. I speak from personal experience. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Serving the Lord can be exhausting. And it is important for us to take time and rest. Now, hear me for a moment, especially you teenagers. All right? We're not talking about stay up all night to watch Netflix. That's not resting. Okay? That's not the kind of rest 
that Jesus is talking about here either. He is talking about a going away by yourself to recharge, to pray, to study the word, to be alone with the Lord. Take a nap. Read your Bible. Take another nap. Pray. Read your Bible. Take a nap. All of that is included. This is the purpose of the Sabbath that God instituted. This is why the Sabbath exists. Why God ordained a time for us to step to the side and just depend and rely and focus on Him. That is why God did that. Remember, Jesus reminded us a few weeks ago in the text that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So listen, brothers and sisters, take a nap. Relax a little. But remember... This is a holy relaxation, okay? Read your Bible. I can think of nothing more relaxing than just being in God's Word, okay? And so that's what Jesus is calling the, the, the disciples to do. We're going to go away and we're going to rest. And so they get onto a boat and they're going off to a desolate place. But some people spot them on the boat. Hey, isn't that that Jesus guy? Isn't that those disciples who are just going around healing everybody? Hey, let's, let's go get them. Let's, let's go over there where they're going. They recognize them and the crowd runs ahead of them so that when Jesus and the disciples get there, the crowd is already waiting for them. The crowd is already there. And so they come off of the boat and Jesus sees this great crowd and he has compassion on them. He has compassion on them. He has a deep care for the needs of other people. The Bible says that his compassion for them was because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They are lost and vulnerable and in persistent danger. I don't know how many of you know a whole lot about sheep, but sheep are very dumb and very helpless. If they fall over on their back in a ditch full of water, They'll just breathe in water till they die. They can't help themselves. If one sheep gets excited and runs off a cliff, all the other sheep go, that looks like fun, and do it too. When the Bible calls us sheep, it's not because we're all so nice and fluffy, okay? It's because we, like sheep, are vulnerable and lost and unwise and helpless and left to our own devices, we will be devoured. And Jesus sees the people in the same way. They need someone to take care of them, to protect them, to love them. He sees the people and He has compassion for them because they are like sheep without a shepherd. And what does His compassion lead Him to do? It says... He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. We must recognize that the most significant need that anyone has, they need to know the Word of God. They need to know the truth about who God is, about who they are, and how they can be reconciled to Him. That is what people need. 
Yes, they might be hungry. Yes, they might be homeless. Yes, they might need clothing. All of those things are true, and we should endeavor to help them in those things. But too often, churches help in those things, and that's it. Well, you know, we don't, we don't want to hurt their feelings. We don't, we, want, we don't want them to feel like there's an agenda. Yes, there's an agenda. We love people and serve people and care for people because the Lord first loved us. Of course we have an agenda. Pretending like we don't is just false. And if a church doesn't, they're not following Jesus. Because even Jesus had an agenda. The, the big crowd show up, and what is he doing? He is teaching them. That is his primary focus. We have seen that over and over and over again throughout the Gospel of Mark. He is aiming to care, to take care of their most significant need, even if they don't realize it. They don't know that they're like sheep without a shepherd. They don't know that. They think they're all good. They think they're okay. They're just like, hey, I got problems in my life. This dude can help me solve my problems. And so Jesus begins to teach them. And the Bible says that he began to teach them many things. And then it grew late. Some people start looking at their watch. If I get to about 35 minutes in my sermon, like, come on now, preacher. Jesus teaches them all day. All day. It says it began to get late. And so the disciples come to him and they say, hey, look, we're out in the middle of nowhere, Jesus. This is a desolate place. And it's late. You need to send these people out so they can go find something to eat. Because they're all just going to sit here and listen to you all day and all night if they have to. Because you know what they're waiting for. They're waiting for this teaching part to be done so they get to the good stuff. That's what they're waiting for. And so they're, they're, they're just waiting. So the, the disciples say, hey, you need to send them away so that they can go get something to eat. Now, this is, there's a practical element to this, obviously, because they're out in a desolate place. There's not food around for them to eat. They're not like camped out next to McDonald's. But I think there's also a little bit of a selfish element here because remember how this story started. Jesus said, hey, let's go away. Come away by yourselves so we can rest. They never got to do that. They got one boat ride. And then they get to the other side, and there's a huge crowd there. And so I'm sure the disciples are like, man, we are so tired. Can't we please just go take a nap? Let these people go so they can go get food, and we can take a nap. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. You do it. And the disciples here get a little bit snippy with Jesus. And they say, okay, okay. Should we go take 200 days wages and go buy them something out here in the middle of nowhere with money we don't have? Is that what we ought to do? Their, their response to Jesus is essentially, how do you expect us to do that? How, how We know from elsewhere in the story that the crowd numbers 5,000 men that does not account for women and children. So this crowd is likely at least 10,000 people. And Jesus tells the disciples, you guys give them something to eat. You take care of it. And so they, they obviously cannot. So Jesus just responds and he says, 
how many loaves do you have? Well, they don't, they don't have anything. So they go and they search through the crowd, and we know from the other Gospels that there's a little boy there. He has his lunch. It's a basket. It's got five loaves and two fish. Now, remember, this is a boy's lunch, so it's not, we're not talking like loaves of bunny bread here, okay? We're talking about small loaves of bread, two fish. You know, th- this is a, a, a moderate-sized meal for one person. And they bring it to Jesus, and they're like, here's what we found. And Jesus says, okay, no problem. It's not a problem. So he takes it. The Bible tells us that he commands everyone to sit, and so they group together in groups of hundreds and fifties. It's an odd detail for the Bible to include. I think it's probably there just for the sake of recognizing how they quickly added up to 5,000 people. Because you can just easily go, okay, well, there's one, two, three hundred size crowds, one, two, three fifty size crowds. And so he tells them to sit, and they all sit down in these groups. He's clearly not concerned. The disciples are probably going, what is, what is he doing? We have five loaves and two fish, and he's telling everybody, all right, folks, it's time to eat. Everybody have a seat. And so he looks to, looks to heaven, a reminder about his unity with the Father, a reminder about how he is doing the Father's will. He looks to the Father. He says a blessing over the food. And then he starts to break off pieces. And gives it to the disciples and said, okay, just go around. Start giving people food. And people take as much as they want to. And they eat until they are satisfied. And it's tempting to think, well, maybe, maybe the Lord through a miracle just shrank everybody's stomachs. And so they all took one little nibble of bread, sniffed the fish, and like, okay, I'm full. Thank you, Lord. Because I'm looking, I'm thinking about that lunch going, that would just make me mad. I've been out in the hot sun all day. Five loaves and two fish, which have also been baking out in the hot sun. That does not sound like enough food for me. And yet Jesus is just passing it out. Everybody in the crowd, all 10,000 plus people, eat and are satisfied. And then Jesus is like, all right, we'll collect the leftovers. And they take up 12 baskets full of leftovers. Now look, I don't know about y'all, I've been to a lot of potlucks in my life. I have never seen more leftovers at the end of the potluck than what we started with. Have you? But here, after feeding 10,000 plus people with five loaves and two fish, they take up 12 baskets worth of leftovers. Now listen, you guys know, you've heard me say before, I am not good at math. But even I know that math ain't right. And yet, there it is, in God's inspired, inerrant word. That is not a typo. It is not a mistake. It is an actual fact that this happened. Jesus blessed this food, and everybody ate enough to be satisfied, and they had all of this left over. And the story in Mark, as most of Mark's stories do, ends just very abruptly by saying, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Just like, just in case you didn't understand this before, it was a lot of people. And so, we see this 
And it's tempting to look at this miracle and get transfixed on what Jesus can do. Because, wow, man, look, if I'm, if, if I'm, if I'm lacking in my bank account, Jesus can multiply my bank account. I can go to the ATM and get out all I need, and there's going to be even more in there. And there are men and women who get on TV and tell people that. All you got to do is give me all the money in your savings account, and the Lord's going to bless you, and you're going to get lots more money. You just got to share this Facebook post. You're going to get lots of money. You just got to do this or do that. You're going to get lots of money. That is not what Jesus is trying to show us here. He met the needs of the people. Why? Because it was necessary for them in order to sit and listen to his teaching. That's why he did that. Because he had more chance to teach them if he did this miracle. This is not just a thing for Jesus to go, hey, look what I can do. This is Jesus doing this on a practical level because what is he trying to do? He's trying to teach the people because his compassion has led him to do that. He did not just feed them. He is teaching them the truth. That is what we should recognize. Because over and over again, we have seen in Mark's Gospel, as I said before, that Jesus' primary focus is teaching. And we must be cautious to not simply look to Jesus for the meeting of our felt needs. It is tempting to walk through life and do whatever we want, live however we choose, ignore the things of the Lord. Our Bible sits on the dashboard of our car between Sundays. But when things are hard, then, then, oh, I got, I got, to, go, I got to go to Jesus because only He can take care of this. We must not fall into that trap of only going to Jesus because he's some sort of spiritual ATM machine. That is not who he is. He is the Lord of all creation. And if you do not serve him and live under him as your Lord, you are playing with fire, my friend. And I mean that in a very literal sense. We must seek Jesus, not what Jesus can do, not Jesus' blessings. We must seek Jesus himself. The next thing that we see in our text is verses 45 through 52. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And when he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astonished, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So immediately after this takes place, he tells the disciples, you guys go on ahead. I'll deal with the crowd. So the disciples get on the boat, and they go. And Jesus dismisses the crowd, and then he takes an opportunity to go off by himself to pray. And so he goes off, and he prays, and he's praying for hours, for hours. When, the, when it talks about the fourth watch of the night, that is between 3 and 6 a.m. 
So he's been, he's been off by himself praying for hours. And so he sa- it says that he saw that the disciples were making headway painfully. Now, not super familiar with the geography of the area, maybe he could very easily spot their boat and know it was their boat and realize how much trouble they were having. But I think it's more likely that this was more of a supernatural kind of seeing, a supernatural kind of sight, where he knows that this is happening. And remember, he's God. So not only does he know that this is happening, he is ordaining that it is happening. And the disciples are having trouble making it across the sea because as we talked about before, when we talked about Jesus calming the storm, the downdrafts coming off of the mountains into the Sea of Galilee cause really, really severe windstorms. And so they're trying and they're fighting against the wind and they can't make it through. And so Jesus decides to go to them. And he starts to walk on the water. The Bible says that he intends to pass by them. He intends to walk in such a way that they see him, recognize him, and then see him again when they get to the other side. But the disciples who, remember, have seen these incredible things that Jesus can do over and over and over again, their first thought is not, it's Jesus their first thought is like every side character in, this, in, in the Scooby-Doo cartoon and go, a ghost! That's what they immediately jump to. They freak out and think it's a ghost. Of all the things in the world, right? You have the Son of God among you and you see Him walk on the water and you go, that must be a ghost. And so Jesus calls out to them and tells them, take heart, It is I. Do not be afraid. Because the disciples see this happening and they're terrified. And instead of calling out for Jesus, they just all freak out. And he's like, hey guys, hey, 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 it's me. Don't be afraid, it's me. And he walks over and he just walks into the boat like nothing is happening. Now remember, notice what the Bible tells us. The winds do not stop until after Jesus steps into the boat. So all the while, there's this massive windstorm, and Jesus is just walking along like nothing's happening. And as soon as he steps into the boat, the wind stops. And the disciples, who not that long ago saw Jesus speak to the storm and have it stop instantly, not that long ago that took place. And so now they see this happen, and what does the Bible say? It says that they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves but their hearts were hardened one of the things that we that so often happens to us is that we misunderstand the nature of our circumstances when we face hardships instead of recognizing This is happening for my own good and my own sanctification. We push against them. We fight against the sanctification of the Lord that he is giving us through our circumstances. And our hearts are hardened like the disciples. The disciples do not understand that what they just saw Jesus do is evidence of his godhood. They just think it's a neat party trick. A really really impressive one. 
But they don't really, it's, they're not making the connections. And the reason why is because their hearts are hardened. And so when we think about the compassion of Jesus toward his people, it is important to remember that the most incredible aspect of his compassion for us is that he takes us from being people who have dead, hard hearts, who cannot see him as God, and he gives us new hearts so that we do see him as God. Think about that for a moment. Because he doesn't have to do that. He can just say, look, I came. I lived, I died, I told you the truth. It was promised all through the Old Testament. You could have turned and you didn't. Because you have a dead, hard, sinful heart. And he could say, look, I did my part. This is on you. But not only did he come and live a perfect life and take on your sins and mine and bear them on the cross and take the wrath of God on our behalf, he then goes one step further and gives life to dead hearts so that we will see him and understand who he is and love him and treasure him and trust him. What a compassionate Savior we have. What a compassionate God that we have who would do that for us despite the fact that we are wretched sinners who deserve the wrath of God. And in compassion, he gives us new hearts to see him, to love him, to serve him and worship him. Even the disciples, even the disciples had hardened hearts because they are sinners. Often people would say, well, if I could see with my own eyes the things that Jesus did, if I could just walk next to him and talk to him, then I'd believe. No, you wouldn't. No, you would not. The disciples were with him every single day for three years and their hearts were still hard. These men literally just saw Jesus take five loaves and two fish, feed 10,000 people, take up 12 baskets of leftovers, and that same night they're going, it's a ghost, we're scared! How often are we like that? How often are we afraid of the things around us in this world when we serve Jesus Christ, who holds all of creation in his hands? who has sovereign rule and authority over all things. There is not one molecule anywhere in creation that is exempt from his authority. And yet we fear just like the disciples feared. We freak out and panic about little small things. So what? So what? Throughout my 37 years of life, I have heard so many people panic when it comes to politics. Because if we don't elect the right person, they're not going to put the right justices in the Supreme Court. And if they don't do that, then the Supreme Court might make Christianity illegal. And my response to that is, so what? You think the Lord Jesus Christ needs the law to be on his side? Remember what the early church suffered. And here we all are. We still heard and believed the gospel these 2,000 years later. Do not fear what can the world do to us? Kill us? So what? They're doing us a favor. We go to be with Jesus. This is nothing. This is all temporary. Quit clinging to your life, which ends. And trust in the Lord for life that doesn't. Finally, we see many were made well in verses 53 through 56 as we close. 
When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many touched it, were made well. So they make it across to Gennesaret, and people see him, as happens everywhere he goes. They recognize him, and so they run around, and they're like, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Bring your cousin Jeff, who's paralyzed. Bring your sister Sue, who's got that issue. Bring him to Jesus. He's going to heal him. Everybody, come on. And they go into the marketplace, and they just crowd into the marketplace, and they're laying people on the ground, and they're leaning them up against posts, and they're just like, if I can just touch him, if I can just touch his garment, I'll be healed. You think the story of the woman with the issue of blood has spread? You think that's spread around? Remember the woman who pushed her way through the crowd and just thought, if I can just touch his garment, I'll be healed. And she did, and she was. I guarantee you that story has spread. Jesus has so much power to heal. You just got to touch his clothes, just the hem of his garment, just the fringe. If he's got like a loose thread hanging off the back of his, of his, his garment, just touch it and you're, you're good. And so that's what they're doing. They're crowding around and they know Jesus is going to walk through here and if I can just reach him. And what does it tell us that happened? As many who touched his garment were healed. Jesus doesn't withhold that from them. He doesn't begrudge that. He heals. Why? Why? Because he has compassion. Because he is showing his power and authority over all things in life so that when he is teaching, the people might know that he has power and authority over all things in life. So that when he says, this is what you have heard, but this is what is true, they would know that he speaks with genuine, real authority. Because I can stand up here and tell you, this is what you've heard, but this is what is true. And I can't do these incredible things that Jesus can. But in my compassion for you, I appeal to this authority, this power, this book, this word from the Lord is what has authority and power today. The Holy Spirit who lives in us has power to help us today. And the Lord in his compassion sent the Holy Spirit to live in you to intercede and pray for you because you don't know how. People come to me and they say, Pastor, I don't know how to pray. I'm like, that's okay, neither do I, but the Holy Spirit does. Do your best and know that the Lord has made provision for you. Just like he did for that crowd, just like he does for these people, he made provision for you because he has compassion for you. The compassion and love of Jesus for his people leads him to do incredible things. And like I said before, the most incredible thing that he does is taking away our hardened, dead hearts to give us new ones. And so today, if you are here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, maybe you were baptized one day. Maybe you walked this particular aisle and got in that particular tank and got dunked in that particular water. If you did not repent and believe the gospel, then all of that was meaningless. You just got wet. You just had a pool party at church. 
That was it. And so today, whether you are 8 or 80, you too can trust in the love and compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. You too can repent of your sin and believe in the gospel and have eternal life in him. Because that is why he came. To teach the truth about God's word and God's will to show us that he was the one who was to come, who was promised in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve. When they sinned, he said, I will send the son of the woman to crush the serpent's head. And Jesus is that son. And so I, I, I implore you, I, I, I earnestly plead with you today that if you do not know Jesus, come and talk to me after our gathering is over. And I would love, love to share with you how you can know him today and be known by him today. But most of us here are Christians. Most of us here do trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and hope in him for our salvation. And so what do we do with these texts? Well, number one, we should trust in his promises today. We should trust in his promises today because listen, folks, life is hard and it's long, and our flesh is horrible, and it sins all the time. Like Paul said in Romans 7, the things that I don't want to do are the things that I do, and the things that I, I want to do, I don't do. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Jesus will. Jesus will deliver you from this body of death. Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, says this in verse 6, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If you have trusted in Jesus for salvation and you look at your life and you think, all I do is sin and I can't stop, Jesus will bring his work to completion in you. One way or another, you will stop sinning. Whether you die or Jesus comes back, one way or another, you will be rescued from this body of death and you will be sinless before the Lord. Trust in his promises. Hope in him today. Examine your heart and ask yourself hard questions. Do I trust Jesus? Have I gone to Jesus to be with Jesus or am I seeking him for stuff? Repent of idolatry. Repent of the ways that you have placed other things as a higher priority or of more deserving of your time and attention and love and acceptance than Jesus Christ. Trust in him fully today. Rest in him because he has compassion for you. Let's pray together. Father, we... We are so blessed to be your people. To have you as our God. You, Father, are not like the pagan gods that are just like men who are fickle and demanding and all of those horrible traits that we have. Father, you are perfect and complete and unchanging. So, Father, I pray today 
that we would cling to you. You are the only God who is real. You are the only God who can save by the work and the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray today that if there is anyone here who does not know him, who does not trust in him for salvation, who has not called out to him in repentance and belief, I pray, Father, today that you would wake their dead hearts. Give them life, Father. And I pray for the believers here in this body here at Evans Creek. I pray, Father, that our hope would be in a compassionate and loving and gracious Savior. That, Father, we would not love the world or the things of the world, Father, but we would trust and love and treasure Jesus Christ above all else. That, Father, we would not pressure ourselves to have to work to earn our salvation, but that we would trust in your promises that the one who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. That you, Father, will bring it to completion by the blood of Jesus Christ and the word of and the work of your Holy Spirit in us. So, Father, today, during this time, I pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts. Draw us to yourself in repentance and love and awe and wonder. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.